0: We're going to find our way over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 26. Normally at this time you would uh, see off here to my left uh, a stool with a toolbox on it. And you notice it's missing this morning and it's simply because I forgot. (laughs) That's not very profound or anything, but I just forgot. It's sitting down in my office actually. I forgot to bring it all the way up this way. Maybe it was because of that killer Monopoly game we were having last night. Uh, It was pretty intense, and I won't tell you which pastor in the house won, but uh, all those hotels were really pretty. I mean, they're just everywhere. Things distract us from time to time, don't they? Well, I hope we don't have too many distractions this morning anyway, as we look at verse number 26. Again, kind of our preliminary approach to uh, understanding God's toolbox and why we are in that toolbox and what he intends to do with us in that toolbox. And our study is actually the last handful of verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, 28, 29, and, and through the end of that chapter. So today we want to do, as we did the last two weeks, And that is, consider your calling. I think it's a very important thing for us to do. Verse number 26 says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. We're going to just focus on those first four words there. For consider your calling. Heavenly Father... What a privilege it is to be here today to spend this time in worship of you. And we know that worship goes far beyond just the events of this service, but it's what we do with our lives, for we serve a holy God, a loving God, one that we are so so grateful and so privileged to have a relationship with. We have met here today, Lord, that we might be taught from your word, that we might be changed according to your way, that we might serve you as we ought to. So this is our training time, Lord, and and you're the one who's working in us, and we pray as we submit to you today that you change us make us different people. Draw us close to yourself as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, consider your calling. I think those are very important words. Uh, There's so much to read and understand in this chapter of Corinthians. And you know we're not going verse by verse every bit of this chapter or even of this book. But uh, um, those words we pass by so quickly because we're looking for the bigger topics in in the verses. And that's why I've stopped intentionally to look at this with you. That we would consider our calling. And that's a pretty big topic. And I've been working through that with you the last couple of weeks that uh, uh, we will see in the toolbox, the Lord has a lot of variety. And it's wonderful. He can do so much with us. And and, uh, it's just an amazing thing to see the variety in the church and how that all functions. And and, uh, yet he knows what he's doing. And yet, we have so much in common, too. And that's what I want our focus to be first, is our calling. We have this all in common. And as we work through it, uh, we've, we've got six things on my list, anyway, of what we have in common. They don't cover the entire thing, I'm sure, but we've got to start somewhere. So, these six things we are considering together. And we've actually done five of them over the previous week, so... My review with you just for the first five are are simplified versions of what we looked at. And if you want the big picture, it's on our website. You can pull up our sermon page there and get the rest of these. But uh, we are called, and that's the first thing we have in common. We are called, we're invited uh, into what God wants to do here. He has uh, invited us, which means we are wanted. I like that. Uh, He desire us to be here, and that just speaks of His grace. How gracious He is that He should love us anyway, we who are sinners. That He should save us. How gracious it is that He should uh, uh, work in our lives. That He should give us a permanent relationship with Himself. That He would place us in the body of Christ. That He would set up an eternal home for us. And in all that, he's also gracious to say, and I've got a project to do, and I invite you to be part of it. What a grace-filled thing that is, that he should include us in his plan and in his work. We saw that. We've been invited. We've been called. And that's an important part of your calling, is the very fact that you have been. You have been. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're not exempt from that phrase. You're not left out of that phrase. You have been called by Him. And that's great to hear. The second thing we noticed is that He also has designed us as we are. He has designed us the way He has chosen. All of His works are designed by His wisdom. In wisdom, He made them all. I emphasize that every time I bring that up. But that's in Psalm 104, verse 24. God always designs by wisdom. Sometimes we don't understand that, perhaps. Why did He make me what I am? Why do I have this, and why do I have that about me? That's His design. That's His masterpiece. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? We are His workmanship. We are His masterpiece. We have been fabricated and fashioned and created in Christ Jesus. That's pretty intense when you stop and think about it. But what you are is what he's made. He's made. So there is an intentional side to his design. Intentional. Sometimes we say, well, that must have been a mistake, Lord. (laughs) When we look in the mirror and we look at our abilities or we look at something else and we say, that must have been a mistake. But no, it was intentional. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that. We're we're not going to walk through all those issues again. But like I said, you can review them if you want. Um, We also notice that he not only has invited us and had fashioned us as we are, but he also has a purpose for placing us in his toolbox. There's a purpose behind this too. It wasn't just that he was trying to fill up a toolbox. But he has a purpose for putting us in there. We not only have been uh, called his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, but we're also there for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10 one more time. But he has a purpose for placing us in that toolbox. That is not an accident either that He has invited you and shaped you as you are. It's for a purpose. For a purpose. And I like that. I, that encourages me a great deal. That He would prepare all this beforehand. That means He's even thought it through. says, I, I'm, I'm doing this because this is what I've been thinking through. This is my plan. And you're a part of that. We say in Romans eight twenty eight that God has has uh, caused all things to work together, right? For good? Yes. To those who are called according to his purpose. There's purpose in all this. And he works it together, and it's an amazing thing. But that's exactly what God has prepared us to be. Again, these are review items that we have noticed over the last few weeks. So, this is what we know. We know that we are in this toolbox. He has invited us to it. He called us to it. He has designed us for it. And he's put us there with a purpose. Those are our first three things. And even if we don't understand it, I told you last week, it's not required that you know your purpose. It is required that you know your, your maker. It's required that you know who did this. So, with that, we step on to number four. Number four, when we consider our calling, the fact that now we're in this box, we're there for a purpose, we've been invited, and and he's designed us this way, we need to check our attitudes. Right? Check your attitudes. God has put us there for a reason. But God also judges the motives of our hearts. Scripture tells us that. He knows the inside from the outside. He knows what's what's the, in between the, the, the parts that are woven together. He can see all that. And he knows all that. He knows our motive in ministry. Very important that we understand this. Because sometimes we step back and we say, like some in the book of Corinthians, uh, well, I'm not like everyone else. I am not needed. I'm unworthy, I'm so lowly, I'm just not needed. Step back again and ask, who called you? Who designed you? Who's got a purpose for you? It's not It's not our place to sit back and say, well, I'm nothing. I I'm, think so lowly of myself. I'm a nobody. On the other hand, we can't swing it the other way either, can we? I'm a somebody. I don't need you. We're not to be that way either. But that's an attitude, isn't it? A very easy attitude for some people to fall into this. Uh, You know, I don't need you. Think too highly of ourselves. We are tools. Tools. Designed by our Lord. Placed there on a purpose. And the attitude is a, a big thing that goes along with it. Do I serve the Lord in the ministry He's designed in my way or in His? That's attitude. What kind of attitude are we supposed to have? Philippians 2. Have the same attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Is that a calling or what? The same attitude that Jesus Christ had. So it's not by my strength that I serve. It shouldn't be. It's not by my wisdom that I serve. It shouldn't be. But sometimes you know how attitude can get in there. It's not by my own purpose that I serve. It's not for my own glory that I serve. It says an awful lot about us when we evaluate our motives in ministry. Why are we serving? I hope that we can all happily say... That our motives are right. We're here because the Lord has called us to this. We're serving by His grace. We're serving by His strength. We're serving by His power, His wisdom, for His glory, to perform what He wants us to do. Wouldn't that be great if we could all say, that's what we are? Oh, how exciting it would be. And how much more would be done if we should serve with the right attitude? That's something I it, it, you're not going to find it right here in this this uh, Corinthians verse we're looking at here but I think that's part of consider your calling consider look close again who called you who designed you who put you here was it you or was it him if he's done all this then it's his work right that's what we have to stop and check check that attitude what are we doing Number five, we went along the way and asked the simple question, who do we serve? Who do we serve? And he said, well, of course we serve God. Well, yeah, that's true. But he has designed every tool, every gift, every ministry, every part, every believer, he has designed to put in the body of Christ to serve the body of Christ. All right? He has put us together that we may serve one another. Ephesians 4 is a fascinating section. We looked at that a little bit last week. But how he has put all the parts together as they work together, each part supplying for the maturing, for the building up of the body. So that means every part's important, right? Even the parts that don't seem so insignificant, we don't know even what they're doing here, but they're there. Yes, it's all designed for the purpose, that the body might be built up, that it might be growing, that it might be maturing. So you have a necessary ministry, alright? Whatever you call your ministry, put the adjective in front of it, necessary, alright? Don't use the word lousy, don't use the word tiring, I mean, we come up with all kinds of wonderful adjectives, especially when our attitude's not right, right? (laughs) We can start mixing in all kinds of interesting things. Start learning to say necessary. That's what it is. We need every single part functioning in its part to perform the whole work. And I I, I have to say this to you, just so you understand this. Sometimes I know we fail with with, uh, our ministry because... Uh, We get consumed in one thing or another. Right? Sometimes we've got so much going on in our minds or in our thoughts or in our activities. We forget the purpose of what it's for. We forget that God's designed us in this way. We forget that we're here to serve one another. And we start to work more focused toward ourselves than toward that thing that He has made us for. Maybe that's just me, folks. Or maybe we all have a similar thing that we can go through in this way. But believe it or not, your gifts were meant to mature me. So, But that's the pastor. Yes. If you're not forming, doing your part, I don't mature. You understand? If I don't do my part, you don't mature. If we don't do our parts, we don't mature. So if you consider it that necessary, you've got a lot of work to do on this pastor up here. Do your job. Fix the pastor. Alright? That's our job. We, we're, I'm not a self-generating, a self-existing, a self-operating, a self-providing organization. I'm not. Only God is self-existing. We are dependent. Dependent on Him, dependent on each other. So we need each other in this. So let's not lose sight of that. And I, I emphasize that especially. That was the end of last week's sermon. But I want to bring that that push forward. Saying that's what we need to keep in our mind. Consider your calling. You are needed. You are necessary. That's what God has designed. Our gifts are for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, you could go over there sometime and just read through the chapter and just picture yourself in that. It covers all the arguments that people come up with. Why I don't do what I do. And it comes down to the very reason why we are what we are and what we're supposed to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is beautiful in all that. And most of the time it seems like it's just correcting a problem. Yeah, guess where the problem is. (laughs) Look in the mirror sometimes. That's where we are. So, this is what he's done. Our calling is for the sake of the church, not for ourselves. Our gifts are for others, not for ourselves. I wasn't called to minister to me. You weren't called to minister to you. We weren't placed in the toolbox for our own good. He chose us for the sake of the church. Consider your calling. All right. that's verse 5. Any of those make you feel uncomfortable? You're going to love point six. Oh, my. Okay, seat belts on. Here we go. Consider your calling. This is kind of a, a, a way I want to use this, but I'm going to show you something. When you consider your calling, number one, know that we've been chosen. Number two, know that we've been designed the way we are. Number three, know that we have a purpose. Number four, know that our attitudes need checked. Number five, know that we serve for the sake of the church. And number six, know that we are for the use of Christ. We are for the use of Christ. Who uses you? Who's the one that reaches into that box to find that tool for that job? Pulls it out and uses the tool. Now this may sound very elementary. Just as it's logical that God chooses you, God places you in the box. He designs you a certain way for a certain purpose. And you're meant to be in service to others. It just seems logical you were meant to be used by Christ, right? It just seems logical we would come to that conclusion. Are we used by Christ? That's the question I want to bring to you to think this morning. Consider your calling. Are you used by Christ? Wow, that's going to take a little examination, isn't it? That, that is one question I have. The second one goes along with it because if this isn't right, then that first question I just raised, are you used by Christ, might be a question mark in your mind. But this one I think is, is what gets down to the heart of it all. Are we usable by Christ? Are we usable by Christ? This is where it gets very uncomfortable. Now, do you carry around a whole toolbox of tools, don't you? When you're out there working and you're doing all that slop and oil, and all, uh, no doubt it's a mess. Do you ever clean off your tools before you toss them back in the box? We're going to go examine his toolbox later and see what... <laughs> he says yes. I think that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, either that or else put a drain in the bottom of your box, one or the other, but you're going to start... Using tools, they get messy, they get dirty, you toss them back in the box. Next time you go to get them, do you really want to pick up that thing that you're not sure what tool that is anymore? It's been so covered with this or that or whatever that, that you're, you can't even identify what that thing is. We, we clean off tools for a reason. Not only because it makes it easier the next time, but who knows, that stuff might be corrosive. It might be damaging to the tool itself. It might render it inoperable next time it's needed. It's necessary to clean the tools. Clean the tools. Consider your calling, brethren. He is talking to Corinthians as he writes this letter. He's writing to a group that if you wanted about, If you wanted to see about the dirtiest toolbox on earth, you would have looked into the Corinthian church. Honestly. It's a mess. The rest of the book. It it will depress the socks off of you to read the rest of this book through, thinking, Lord, this is the church? Of course? The issues that they had to go through is incredible. I'm not going to cover the whole book, but travel over to chapter 6 for a minute. And I told you, this gets really, really uncomfortable. But uh, a very necessary section that Paul had to deal with. Starting in verse number 9, working through the rest of the chapter, uh, he says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Is that true? Say yes, it's true. Uh, who inherits the kingdom of God? Those who are saved by Jesus Christ, made righteous by His blood, changed as He could only do that. The unrighteous? Those who are apart from Christ? Those who don't follow the word of the Lord? Are they the ones who inherit the kingdom of God? No. Alright, so that's very clear and straightforward, isn't it? Paul says, don't you know that? And any Corinthians says, well, sure we know that. He says, then why are you living like them? This isn't a uh, God's going to throw you out kind of a verse. This isn't a, a section where he's going to walk through there and cast them out of their salvation. That's not it at all. He's showing them, if you are those who are righteous in Jesus Christ, then why do you live like you're not? And he starts to list sins. And they're a very uncomfortable list of sins. But all the sins he's about to mention in verse number 9 and verse number 10 are man-centered sins. Any sin is anyway. But these are specifically man-centered sins for man's gratification. That's, the Corinthian church was good at that. They were so man-centered that they thought of only satisfying themselves. And so he starts, Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor sw- drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That, that's just a simple picture. These folks, the behavior reflects those who are not saved at all. And he goes through this list, and you say, well, that's an alarming list, but it's a very self-centered list, too. Every time you see lists like this, you're going to see immature people leading to those who are deceived by what they do, leading to bad choices along the way. Um, he says that, that's easy to look at the unrighteous and say that, but why do you, you uh, ignore the Christian who lives like that? That's a sign of immaturity for a Christian to be involved in any one of these, by the way. Uh, in Ephesians 4, he says, if we're not maturing, then we're like children being tossed about by the winds and the waves. And we're being thrown from this doctrine to that doctrine. We're thrown from one thing to another. That's immaturity. Is it possible for a believer to become immature? Yes, it is. Make bad choices? Yes, they can. Oh, yes. He says, matter of fact, in Galatians five, if we're not walking by the spirit, then we're going to perform the deeds of the flesh." And you know that list in a, Galatians 5:19, it, it stands right next to this one right here, very man-centered, very man-gratifying kind of uh, behaviors that come from immaturity. So he's walking through this list with the Corinthians and he says this in verse number 11. Such were some of you. Wow. Such were some of you. He could even put in parentheses right here because he does throughout the book and some of you still act like this. But this is what he says. This is important. I want you to at least if nothing else in verse number 11 underscore these words. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Yes, we can go through the list and see how how rotten the list is. But here's the fact. You were washed. You were sanctified. That's set apart for a purpose. Made holy. That's the same idea of Him putting us in this box. He took, you, he washed you. He put you in the box. And you are justified. That's an incredible phrase. Declared righteous. What, what a label we get to wear because of the work of Christ. Declared righteous? Really? But what about our past? I thought Jesus paid for that. Didn't we? Okay. You're declared righteous. You're declared justified in the name of Jesus Christ. How much of that did we merit? Nothing. Did we merit the calling? No. Did we merit the designing? No. Did we merit the purpose of the box? No. Do we merit anything he's done? No. Neither our justification, our sanctification, our washing... But now that you are washed, now that you are sanctified, now that you are justified, live like it. That's the whole push of chapter 6. Live like it. Live like it. You know, there's hope for the unsaved. Every single one of these sins mentioned in here, he then said, but you were that way. That means God could change you, can't he? Even if you're carrying a problem right now that might have been in that list, and you say, "Oh Lord, it's too big, it's too big," can He change you? Yes. Can He wash you? Yes. Can He set you apart for a purpose? Yes. Understand this: this is what God does, not what we do. That's why we got a wonderful gospel we share. God can regenerate a person. God can change a heart. God has changed us. And put us in his plan. What a wonderful thing. He does this. And I'm not going to go through this whole chapter. But notice the way he ends it when he gets down to the end. Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. That you are not your own. Underscore that. You are not your own. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. You can just stop right there. Think of the price tag that came with your soul. What was done that you might be bought? Was it not the crucifixion of our Savior? His own blood being shed for us, His agony, His pain, His death. We can start focusing right there on the cross and remember, that bought us. That ought to stop us in our tracks every single time we consider doing something self-gratifying, self-satisfying, self-focused. Remember what Jesus did for you remember what Jesus did for you you've been bought with a price we've been bought with a price now with all that said Paul's addressing the Corinthians this way and he says consider your calling can you see it now what he's asking them to consider is all by God's power and strength and mercy and love that he's called us consider what he's done and what kind of tool are you in the box? Useful? Useful? I want to show you one other passage here. As we walk through this, go to um, Timothy with me. No, go to 1 Peter. Let's go there instead. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me deal with this one first. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Look at these words. We, we don't see this too often, but uh, probably because we don't spend enough time in Peter. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter's writing, he's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens or strangers, scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Here it comes. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. That's you and me, right? Chosen by God, sanctified by the Spirit, cleansed by Jesus Christ through His blood. That's what God has done. Now, what I think we need can be illustrated perhaps in something I, I was thinking of yesterday. I, I've been enjoying working on my little flower garden out front in front of the parsonage there. And, and uh, roses are fun to work with and all the other plants just going wild right now. Um, if I ever disappear, look inside the morning glory. All right, I might be a tied up inside there somewhere. Found a cat in there a couple weeks ago. uh, So who knows what you might find in the morning glories. But I I was working out in the front yard, and I noticed myself doing something because uh, in the process of trying to make it look nice, just in case somebody should stop over, I want it to look nice, I'm going around clipping off the top of the weeds that stick up over the flowers. All right? I'm not pulling the weeds. I'm confessing, okay. I'm not pulling the weeds out. I'm not pulling the, you know, reaching down and yank. I'm just clipping them off at the top. So when you come by, you see, wow, he really keeps this looking nice. Don't spread out the flowers and look underneath them. And I was thinking as I was doing that yesterday, just clipping off the top of the weeds and things, I was thinking, how often might our lives look just like that? That we go about with, Issues that, that really we're not fit for use, right? We're, we're, let's be con- honest about this. We've gotten into things we shouldn't have been doing. We're, we're, we're doing things we should. And yet we know Sunday's coming up. I gotta teach my Sunday school class and all that. And so we go and we lop off the top of the weed that everyone might see. But we haven't dealt with the issue, have we? What does the Lord see? Does He just work with the surface? What did he tell the Pharisees? You're nothing but whitewashed sepulchers. Which means you look pretty on the outside as a tomb. But we know what's on the inside. And that, that was kind of convicting when I was thinking that through. And I might just have to spend a little more time under the plants next time. Pulling these weeds out. Thinking, you know, if that's a picture of what we are. Sometimes we just kind of gloss over the service service for Sunday looks and things of that nature but you've been chosen I've been chosen we've been set apart by the spirit we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ are we usable? are we usable? this kind of is a place where we need a daily check don't we? not just an occasional you know let's think this through but this is what daily means Uh, 2nd Timothy chapter 2 2 Timothy chapter 2. I think of all the parts in Scripture that can convict me to pieces. This one does it every time. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19. And on through uh, just a handful of verses. 21 would do. A couple weeks ago, we were able to jump on an airplane and fly down to Florida and see my dad. Uh, Megan and Paul and I and we were delayed at the airport for a little while sitting inside the airplane and the the pilot was very upset so much so he actually came on the intercom and told us what had made him so mad he said the last person to use this plane had a broken part on it and they chose not to record it in the book And, and he's just ranting and raving as he's starting up the motor And I'm starting to get a little nervous about this. Number one, we've got a very angry pilot. Number two, there's something not right on this machine. Anyway, we flew with a lot of prayer, but uh, we, we flew and made it through. And I'm thinking, you know, if something's not right, does it ever get us to a place where we say something must be done with this? Or do we just vent ourselves and just go on with the broken part? Here's what Timothy was told. Verse 19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. You see it? Okay. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood, and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... Not the vessels, but the wickedness that he mentioned in the paragraph. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor. Sanctified, there it is again, useful to the master. Whoa. Prepared for every good work. Do you want to be useful to him? That was my question. Do you want to be used by him? Useful to him? You know, I may be a a gold tool, but I want to be a useful one. It does no good to be a gold tool and be dirty. I may be a silver tool, but I want to be a useful tool. Don't you? Being a dirty tool is no good. I may be a wooden tool, but at least I can be a useful wooden tool and not a dirty one. I may be plastic. It says earthenware. I just bring it down to Tupperware level, okay? I might be plastic, but I can be a plastic tool useful to my master. Can't you? What good is a dirty plastic bowl? Needs clean before it's useful. The question is, am I useful? That's I've been put in a box. I've got a purpose and all that thing. But when he reaches down in there, is he going to find me useful? That's where my examination starts. How about you? Consider your calling. You've been chosen. Know that. You've been designed. Know that. You have a purpose. Know that. You have an attitude. Check that. You are here to serve the church. Know that. We are here to be used by Christ. Be that. Okay? Now, I've preached in front of a mirror the whole morning. Understand? Pastor is not here. Everyone else down here. This is convicting. This is what I want to be, though. And I trust it's what I want you to be. What you want to be as well. Heavenly Father, we set your word right next to our own lives. We measure ourselves by it today. Oh Lord, we found lacking. We're missing in many parts perhaps or we're not just up to the standard you've called us. You've said to be holy as you are holy and and Lord, you know who we are and you see what we do. You know what's in our hearts. And we could only fall on your mercy. And maybe that's exactly where we need to go. Thank you for loving us. Even while we were yet sinners. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for your constant, faithful, loving work in our lives. These words are not written to blast us and and stomp us into the ground. They're to lift us up and show us that we have a purpose because we have a God who loves us so. And He reaches to each of us today. You do, Lord. You reach to us. And if somebody is struggling with something here and they've carried it all week long, or maybe they've carried it a lot longer than that, remind them, Lord, they could dump it right at your throne today. For you are the one who is so faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we confess that we are not what we ought to be, but we know what we want to be. And we submit ourselves to your work today. You own the toolbox. We're just the tools. Clean us, Lord. Prepare us as you promised. And use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.